He said a couple of studies. One of them was by Austin Dice. What was the other one? Or is it both? No, 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 no. One, the awesome dice test took a a twenty-sided dice from Chessex and a twenty-sided dice from Game Science, and they rolled them ten thousand times on a on a dice table. Which meant, when they threw it, if the dice didn't hit the backboard first and then come to the table surface, they didn't count the roll as a valid one. And so. When you're doing this test, you should get, according to the law of averages, 501s, 502s, 503s, 504s. Then they went back and they said, if you're within 30 of the 500 mark, we'll count it as a roll of 500. So you can get five, uh, 470 to 530, we'll still count as 500. And the... The Chessex dice had one face that qualified for that. I had nine. <laughs> but what my dice had a, a blemish sticking out on face number seven. Now, face number seven came up with a reasonable number of surfaces, but page face number 14, which was the opposite of face seven, came up with something like 240 times which is, like, well clear of the target 500. Yeah. So as as a result of that, it's now... where it's taken off the mold. Yes, right. So now I try to make sure... I, I go down to... Uh, uh, I think it's called Money Tree, and everything in the place is a dollar. And I spend a dollar, and I get three razor knives for a dollar. <laughs> and I use the razor knife to cut off... The, the little nubs, yeah, I trim it down as much as I can to make sure that that surface is flat and smooth. Because I want the die to do what it's designed to do, which is grant equal access to all the digits that it has. I'm having trouble here. Would you come up a little closer and help me? I'm trying to find a three-sided dice, and I don't see one. Do you know what a three-sided dice looks like? Oh, I figured out. It looks like a football. There it is. Okay. No. Thank you. Well, it's usually the second you call someone up that you'll, you know, find it yourself. So I've got threes, fours, fives, and then sixes. Your seven-sided dice, you say you rolled it 100,000 times or something like that? No, I didn't. Uh, the, the guy who designed it. I, I refused. Well, I'm going to tell this story as part of the... Okay, well, I, I, I don't... Sorry. That's all right. You didn't do anything wrong. It's just that I suddenly realized I'd be, I'd be repeating the information for no good point uh, just because it's in the, the sequence of things that I'm going to talk about. And what I'm trying to do now is put them... in the sequence in which I'll talk. So I've got the seven-sided here. I, I'm now looking for my eights. May I see a show of hands of all the people who know who I am? And a show of hands from all the people who don't know who I am? And a show of hands from all the people who really don't give a damn? <laughs> all right. Uh, my name is Louis Zaki. 
and I invented the 100-sided dice. And I also designed the Luftwaffe game for Avalon Hill. And I published the very first air-to-air combat game that was serious, uh, and it was called Battle of Britain back in uh, 1968, I think. In any case, <clears throat> I've been, I was the very first distributor to specialize in selling nothing but adventure games. I didn't handle Boardwalk or Park Place or any, you know, Milton Bradley, Parker Brothers stuff. I didn't sell any of that. So, <clears throat> as a result, I, I kind of had a, a big a, a role to play in the development of our, our hobby. So, I'm here to talk about how to roll winning numbers. And the first thing I want to do is show you the one-sided dice. Because, you know, most people have never seen a one-sided dice. And I was at a convention, an origins convention in Dallas, Texas, when I got my shipment of one-sided dice. And you know what the line is like when you're standing there waiting to register and get your pass, right? So the day before the convention started, my booth was adjacent to the place where you had to stand in line for hours to get your boot tickets. So I put up a big sign that said one-sided dice, one dollar each, and this is the one-sided dice. Now, when you look at it and you count the sides, there's only one. That's it. But there's a ball bearing inside this dice, and there's a pocket for that ball bearing to fall into that's right behind all of the outcomes printed on the outside of the die. So it just it's a six-sided die that will roll one through six, and it never comes up cocked halfway between two out, out numbers. It's just there. Okay, I invented this. It's a three-sided dice, and if you looked at it, if you were close enough to look at it, you would see that the numbers one, two, three are out on the tips of the die. Each tip has those numbers. And in the center it says RPS. Is everybody here aware of what RPS does or you don't? Okay. R stands, if I tell you R is for rock, <laughs> paper, scissors, right. So it's, it's a device that can be used to stop Mr. Slow Draw when the time comes to resolve your, your combat questions in the play of quite a few games. I, I think I had like 12 titles on a card that I found uh, listing every game that required a three-sided dice. Well, it didn't require a three-sided dice, but it used the rock, paper, scissors way of resolving combat. Now, I have here some four-sided dice, and I know that you all know what a four-sided dice looks like. But I have some four-sided dice that you've never seen before, and so what I'm going to do, if you don't mind, I want each of you two to come up here, and I'll give you a four-sided dice, which after you look at it closely, you can pass to the person next to you. And the person at the end of the whole group, would you bring this four, these four-sided dice back to me? What I want you to do is look at the number that's supposed to come up. And uh, on the, uh, like, face number two, right, you'll find two twos, and then one other face has a number one. 
or on the fours, you'll find you know two fours and a and a three, or two threes and a four, but you don't find the threes on on uh, on all three sides of the dice that like they're supposed to be. And how it came to pass that these dice are what they are. In the beginning, I was the only guy making dice in the United States, and I was. What happened was, when I placed an order for polyhedron, when I, when I bought a, a 500 copies of Dungeons and Dragons, I immediately had to call Creative Publications, which was a school supply store in Palo Alto, California, and order 500 dice sets from him. Because if you have no dice to go with your sets, you can't sell the game. And so it's just as important to have dice as it is to have the game itself. And the dice that they sent were made in Taiwan of the cheapest plastic possible. And this is what those dice sets looked like. And after you use them for about six months, the edges change colors, which is a sign that the plastic is breaking down. When you stop think, you roll that dice, and then its edges hit the tabletop, and that's what dissipates the energy. And so that's why the edges change color. And so I had to order these dice from them, and I kept saying to the guy, you know, like, I, I, I ordered right after Gary ordered. Well, he got the only 500 dice the guy had, and I have to wait the next week for another ship to arrive so I could get my order filled. And I kept writing him about, can I get a better price on the dice? You know, like you always send them to me in a baggie. How about sending me a barrel of 20s, a barrel of 12s, a barrel of 4s, etc.? And I'll put them together myself. Can I get a better deal if we do that? And so he wrote me an irate letter saying, I'm sick and tired of reading your letters where you want to get a better price and more reliable delivery. If you want better delivery, make them yourself. <laughs> Well, uh, I was going home on leave, and one of the people I, I was rather close to played the accordion in a band when I was in high school, and I played in that band, and we made money every weekend playing for weddings and so forth. And so uh, I, I was a business major going through high school, and he took shop. And as a result, he learned to be a tool and die maker. <laughs> Can I get your white slips, please? Thank you very much. So I told him of what the problem I was encountering with this other guy, and I showed him these dice. And I said, what do you think? And he said, I think we'll never beat these people on price. I pay my workers $20 an hour, and they work for $20 a week. I can see the differential there. And he said, but I think we can beat them on quality. I know a special formula for high-impact plastic, and if we make these dice from the high-end plastic formula I know, they're going to soldier on for years and years without showing any wear. And the... What I don't know is, will people realize that these are better dice than what they're getting? Because like this, I paid $1.20 for it, and we sold them for $2.50.
for the whole set. But, but now he's built me a tool that will make 20-sided shapes, but he can only make one at a time because I didn't have the money to buy two 20-sided shapes. Am I making sense? Yeah. And so he made the 20-sided dice available, and I, and I started talking to stores about these dice will soldier on and your kids will come back and want them. And sure enough, that's what happened. And they started buying dice from me, and it made it possible for me to make a second tool, a third tool, a fourth tool. The last one we made was the six, because you can get a six-sided dice anywhere. So why should I bury, you know, make a six when I didn't have the cash, you know, ready to make a four or an eight or whatever? So that's how I got into the dice business a little bit at a time. Now. I had a secretary named Diane Johnson. Well, she wasn't my secretary. She was my office manager, right? And one day, an envelope, seven envelopes came in from Taiwan. And each envelope had a set of polyhedra dice in it. And a letter that said the same thing in each letter. I am the only person in Taiwan who has a mold that can make dice shaped like this. So why don't you send me your certified unrevocable letter of credit for $20,000 worth of these dice? And I and I looked and I saw every four was mismade. Did you guys everybody here get a look at those mismade fours and you saw all the okay. And I said but this guy wants me to spend $20,000, and he screwed up the fours. Look at that. And she said, oh, Lou, I'm sorry. I'm the, I'm the cause of all that. And I was puzzled. Why? How did this happen? Well, Koplau was the other dice company, and he didn't make any of his own dice. He bought dice from people, other people. And he bought dice from a company in Germany that had mismade the fours. And she didn't know those fours were mismade, and I never talked to her about it, but what she did do was she took a set of Coplow dice and ripped them off the, from the packaging and just mailed them off to a company that she saw was molding plastic stuff in Taiwan with a letter saying, can you make something like this for me? And what would it cost? And she said, I could see you were making so much money selling dice. I thought, well, why don't I get into the dice business? <laughs> I guess that's why. So that's how it came to pass that all these mismade fours came into my possession. And, and, the, and the people in Taiwan, you know, have gone into making dice with a vengeance. There's lots of companies over there now that make polyhedra dice and, uh, and I'm sorry about that because <clears throat> there are other things that are going on that you don't know about and I'll, I'll get to them in time alright here's a five sided dice and it's been tested more than a hundred thousand times to make sure that three fifths of the time it's going to come up on its edges and two-fifths of the time it comes up on the triangle. It's shaped a lot like a, a, a cough drop, a Vicks cough drop, all right? Now, when I wanted to make... 
a five-sided dice. I had a ten-sided mold, and what I had my tool and die maker do is bore out the ten numbers that were on it because I had a customer come to me telling me he wanted to make he wanted me to make chess dice for him. And you use a ten-sided shape, and you put pawns on five of the faces, and you put the other five faces holds the king, the rook, and so forth and so on. So I thought, well, as long as I did that, I could, uh, I could make a five-sided dice, I could make a 50-sided dice, and I could make a dice that had double zero through 90. Thank you. So that's how it came to pass that I made a five-sided dice on a 10-sided shape. And everybody yawned. <laughs> I didn't get any orders for that. And then when I made this other five-sided shape, the orders were phenomenal. Now, I didn't just decide that I will make a five-sided shape like this. It turns out that there was a doctor who teaches mathematics in Canada. And for years and years, people had told him that dime store dice are very unreliable and casino dice are the most accurate and the best performing of all the six-sided dice you could lay hands on. And he, the people just kept saying that to him and saying it to him. He got tired of hearing it, so he built a dice testing machine. <laughs> and the way it works is that after the dice has been rolled by the machine, a camera takes a photograph of the result. And then he has written a computer program that will record the outcome that the camera saw. And so when he goes to work in the morning, he turns on the dice testing machine and during the day it's doing hundreds and hundreds of rolls, about 5,000 in a day's time. And at the end of that, he has a readout that tells him how many times did it come up six, how many times did it come up five, etc. Then he put the, uh, the casino dice and the uh, dice from the, the drugstore into the machine and he tested them and he wrote back to me and he said, I was stunned to discover that the, the dime store dice came up six times more often than on one shape, one side, than any of the others. Now, we were all expecting it to be out, but, but six times is phenomenally out. And so what happened was... Uh, <clears throat> The, the casino dice performed as anticipated and gave an equal number of outcomes for each of the phases that it had. So he told Kevin Cook about this. Now, you may not know, Kevin Cook has the world's largest dice collection. And he, it's about 60,000 pieces. And Kevin has the... Uh, he doesn't sell dice, but he does trade for dice that he doesn't have in his collection. So he will buy 
several copies of something that's new so that he's got a trading piece hunkered away somewhere that he can use to get his hands on something he'd never seen before. And so this, this professor talked to Kevin and told him about his result of testing and uh, Kevin shared the information with me. Well, I wanted to make a five-sided dice, so I made ten five-sided dice, each of which was one millimeter thicker than the next. And I sent it off to him and I asked him would he test them. And about two months later, he calls and he says to me, you need to make this dice 13.85 millimeters thick. <laughs> and I'm stunned. How can you say 13.85 millimeters? In the first case, a millimeter isn't much. And in the second case, I didn't give you a 13.85 to test. <laughs> He said, well, I put the 11-millimeter dice in the machine and tested it and drew a graph of its performance. Then I put in the 12-millimeter dice and I put a graph of its performance. 13-millimeter dice and I graphed its performance. 14-millimeter dice and I graphed its performance. And I could see that the, form, the format that you know went down, if you make this 13.85 millimeters thick, every time this dice is rolled, what you're going to discover is three times it's going to come up on its edges and two times it's going to come up on the triangle, which delighted the hell out of me. That's exactly what I wanted, right? So I'm bragging. This dice really does give you equal access to all the digits that it has. And <clears throat> I stop by a hobby shop and I'm bragging about how this dice performs and I start rolling it on her glass showcase. And ten times in a row, it comes up on the triangles. <laughs> I'm absolutely mortified that it's not doing what I said it should do. And then I realize glass has no give back. We play tested this thing on six millimeter thick plastic and repeated the test on 12 millimeter thick plastic to make sure that our, our findings were on the mark. But since glass has no give back, it's logical metal has no give back. And if you're playing on a, a wooden table, you're, you're going to get the response from the wood surface that you got from the plastic surface. It gives a little bounce back to the die, which makes it either come up on its edge or come up on the triangle. And so I started... On when I sell the 5 and a 12 piece set I've got a little statement there that says uh, this dice performs best when rolled on plastic or wood do not roll it on glass or metal or a tablecloth which covers wood because that dampens the feedback right or a box top that's turned over so it can't leave the table because it'll hit the walls and stop you follow? So that's what I'm doing to solve that problem. And my hope is that people will listen to what I've said. But another professor of mathematics bought 10 of those dice and threw them into a hat and then wrote a scathing report about the fact that these dice didn't do what I said they did because he's got a felt hat full of dice that aren't on their edges <laughs> to prove how rotten those dice are. Well, we never tested it on a hat. I never thought people would t roll it on a hat. 
And I got to tell you, we never even considered rolling it on a on a pancake that's covered with syrup and 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 jelly. You know, there's, there's lots of surfaces that you can find to roll these dice on that I never tested. I just know it works on plastic and wood. Well, so, well, felt was what his hat was made out of. So, you know, and I don't even know. Did he leave it all set up so, like, when you 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 re, you know you wear it, you can grab it from the corners, or did he punch it so that now it's bowl shaped at the bottom? That was not in his report, but <laughs> anyway. So that's that's the story of the five sided dice. Now, these uh, people have have called me and complained and and griped about the fact that every one of my dice has a clip mark on it. And I keep trying to tell you folks, this is how dice are made. You know what this is. This is the casting sprue that gets the, the stuff down to the cavity so it can fill and harden up and create a shape we need. You've made model uh, trucks, uh, you've made model cars, model airplanes, model tanks, and every time you have to take the part you want and break it off from the sprue that caused the part to form. And if you open the, the, the mold cavity as soon as you filled it with plastic, out runs soup. You, know, you gotta let it set up. And so, generally speaking, you can make two dice a minute, you know, two cycles a minute, if you give it 30 seconds to set up before you spit it out of the machine. But if you're doing gem dice, it's gotta be at least a minute to set up. And people who gripe and groan about, <coughs> about that blemish on the dice, I made dice from 1974 to 1980 before I invented diamond, emerald, ruby, sapphire, and all the other gem colors. And when I started producing gem color dice, that's when the complaints came in. What is this blemish? Here, why are you sitting up nights and putting a blemish on every dice you sell so that nobody can get a perfect one? Don't hand me that crap about you have to clip it off a casting. I got dice from Chessex, and there ain't no blemish on his dice. You're too damn stupid to know how to... Why don't you go over there and talk to him about and learn something about making dice? Well, here's, here's, the, here's the story on that. His dice have the same deal going as my dice. You have to clip them off the casting runner. And that leaves a blemish. And if you think, if you put paint on this dice now, what's going to happen? It's going to lodge in the blemish and the dice is going to look bad, right? So the first thing you do after you separate it is you put it into a rock polisher and you tumble it for 24 hours to remove that blemish and now, when the dice has no more blemishes on it, you put them in a french fry basket, and you immerse the french fry basket into a vat of paint. And then when you pull them out, the dice are now totally red, black, whatever the paint color was. And you wait for the dice to dry. After they have dried, you put them in another rock polisher with a very coarse medium that's going to polish off all the exterior paint that you don't want but the paint that's down in the groove is down in the groove to stay. So now it's easy to read the dice number on every face. But 
it's an ugly looking dice because this was such a coarse material it leaves scratch marks and gouges all over the dice so now you need to get rid of that so you put it back in the rock polisher with a very fine medium and you tumble it some more until you can remove all those scratch marks and that's the step that they take to to get the ink in the digits that makes the dice easier to read. My dice don't come with ink unless I sit down with a pen and I ink them myself. And a lot of people think the way to ink a dice is you use a crayon. The most terrible thing you can do is use a crayon because in the summertime, if you leave your dice in the car, it's going to get really hot in there and the wax will melt. And if it's wintertime and a brutally cold night, the dice shrinks at a different rate than does the wax that's in there. And consequently, when you roll the dice, you'll see number, 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 number laying on the tabletop. (laughs) (laughs) And you're confronted with doing the wax step again. Also, when you do the crayon on the dice, you have to clean the face off afterwards because there's lots of crayon on the face that you don't want and that's labor intensive so I use a sharpie ultra fine point pen because if I use the fine point pen you can only do two or three characters and then the point flattens out and you can't get any ink down into the bottom of the groove it just rides to the right or the left of what you're inking and so the ultra fine point pen puts the ink right down where you need it. And as far as I know, the Sharpie pens are the only ones that use a brand of ink that will bond to the plastic. Now, once you've inked dice, they will last perhaps a year or more before you need to refresh. But if you take clear nail polish and you make a swipe across the character, don't, don't, try to put the bristles down in the groove because if you do that you liberate the paint and you have a mess to clean up and I I know because I did it so the best thing you do is make a swipe across the character and and you can't do all 20 faces on a 20 sided dice at one time because you'll leave fingerprints on half the faces so just do you know like half the faces and set it aside, let it dry for an hour, and then you can do the rest. Uh, but if you do that, your, your, your ink job should last maybe three or four years because you've got to wear away all that lacquer before you can start wearing away the paint. Uh, all right. I w- uh, um, I'm in the process of selling game science to somebody else, and he has five children each of whom know how to ink dice. (laughs) And so he's offering dice. You want silver ink and you want blue and he wants red ink and and, they they can do that. I don't. I use one color or two colors and that's it. I I don't go into this exotic blend of other colors partially because I don't want to mess with that many pens and partially because it's it's an aggravation to have to ink dice anyway as far as I'm concerned now I was talking about the six-sided dice and how they're made the best six-sided dice 
are the ones that are used in the casinos, and they're milled to one Excuse me. Federal law states they must be milled to one five thousandth of an inch. So the companies that make these dice require that in order to go out the door, they must be within one ten thousandth of an inch. So they beat the federal requirements by two, you know. And, and so I call these people up and I order the rejects that they've got. Ah, this one isn't one ten thousandth of an inch. It's only one nine thousandth of an inch, you know. So um, they, those dice will perform better than the drugstore dice. And so if you got somebody that's really worried about it, I'd say, I'd say to them, get those. Now, the, there's a couple of other things. Uh, the first of which is so that a cheat cannot take this dice back into the casino and use it after he's doctored it. They put a hole on this dice on one of the faces so that the croupier will recognize that it's got a hole board in it and it's missing a little plastic there. Uh, I told you that the doctor had tested a dime store dice and found that it came up six times more often on one face than any other face, but he never told me which face that was. But let's think about this. A six-sided dice has one spot on one face and six spots on the other face, right? So this is one dimple, and that's six dimples over there. So my thought is that side is lighter, even though it's only a small amount of weight differential, and this side has to be heavier. So I'm thinking that it probably came up with the six more often than it came up with the one. And I asked the people who make these dice, tell me about how you compensate for the fact that there's six dimples on one side and one dimple on the other. Did you drill a hole six times deeper for the one? And he said, no. The paint that we use weighs the same as the material we have bored out of the die. He lied. I found out that's not paint. Those are little plastic elements that are pressed into the surface of the die after it's been bored out. Can I get a slip of paper for you, sir? Yes, sir. So this is a die that has holes bored into some of the faces, but it doesn't have the white spots in them. And so that's, uh, that's why I say they lied. You know, He didn't want to go into explaining to me, well, we made plugs that weigh the same as what we're going to bore out. And I think there's... Uh, a program on, uh, thank you, on one of the computer things that, that show a dice being held diagonally and then they spin it to see that it's balanced and it's not heavier on one side than it is on the other. There's a fellow named Fisher who did a, a really fantastic discovery step by taking game science dice and, and, and uh, chess X dice and he put them in water. And the game science dice floated. And when he, when he hit it like that, he got a different surface to come up every time, which means the game science dice are balanced. He put the chess X dice in there, and half of them would not float. They went to the bottom of the cup. The half that did float, they had a heavy side that kept coming up, and the, and the same face kept coming up. So... He wanted to get the heavy ones to float. 
And so he put salt in the water and dissolved it and tried it. And, it, and some of the dice began to float, but not all of them. And so he boiled water and used Epsom salts and dissolved as much Epsom salts in that boiling water as he could. Then he poured it into a cup and put the cup into a refrigerator. <laughs> now, you remember from basic science, right? Heat expands, cold contracts, right? So now this dense water with the salt in it is even denser because it's cold. And that did the trick. Now he can put every Chessex dice in there and it floats. And, it, and he discovers the, what he thinks is the heavy side, right? Later on, he did some more testing of a different variety and he discovered that's not the weight that's causing it, but the fact that the dice is egg-shaped. And so this part that always hangs down acts like uh, the keel of a sailboat. And so then he started taking dice made by Chessex and cutting them in half to see what the hell's on the inside. And this is what he discovered. And I thought that was interesting. I don't know how in the hell it's done. But... It was, it was a way by which they could get a dice that has two colors to it, and one half of the hemisphere is one color, and the other half of the hemisphere is the other color, and you can split them apart, and you'll see. So I, I don't know. Well, oh, it, and so that's as long as you make combinations of colors that are attractive, people will buy it, or it's an easy way to tell a dice that you loaned to a friend, right? I had the yellow red dice, and I'm the only guy in our grooming, gaming group that has a red yellow dice. So that's what happens with the with the Chessex dice. Now, there's a lot that I want to tell you about dice, and the first thing I'm I want you to know is that every dice has a different number pattern when it gets to have multi faces like the twenty. All right, and I thought there were only six or seven companies making dice. Kevin Cook sent me his list of people who make dice. It was 94 names long. So I was, you know, kind of stunned. I didn't realize I had that much competition. Then there's a small group of people who have been sniping at me and saying nasty things about me, which, you know, got my attention and, and made me frustrated. And one of the things they said was that Colonel Zaki promoted himself. And they couldn't understand how it's possible for somebody to serve 21 years and retire as an E6, who later becomes a full bird colonel. So here's my ID card, and here's my Air Force retirement card, and how I got to be a full bird colonel, not that you give a damn, right? <laughs> but Congress, back in the 50s, passed a law that authorized every governor of every state to form a militia unit that he could use for emergency purposes. And that militia unit does not get paid any money, but they meet once a month, and they learn how to do first aid, and they learn how to issue meals ready to eat and, and 
ice and other things that are real important. You stop and think about it. Alabama and Mississippi are two prime targets for hurricanes, right? And when a hurricane hits, it's too late to try to train people to do the things you need. You need to send those people out. And the the State Guard, State Defense Force are, are the people that get sent out. And so I served, I started off as a first lieutenant, and I served until I made full bird colonel, and then I retired. Because they wanted me to go to my physician and provide them with a document that my doctor said, I'm sure to live another year. <laughs> so, so anyway, that, that now you know uh, I didn't promote myself. And the other thing is these people have only done this rather recently, I mean like in the last two, three years, which proves that they haven't been in the hobby long enough to see articles I wrote as Captain Zaki, Major Zaki, Lieutenant Colonel Zaki, or the slowly work my way up to Colonel. So they don't know as much about gaming as they think they do, and that they thought then that that gave them the right to attack me, you know. And so, anyway, um, I was talking about 20-sided dice. The next thing I wanted to make sure you all know is that every 20-sided dice has a unique number pattern on it. And I haven't been able to find any 20-sided dice that copied another 20-sided dice exactly except for the ones that I made. They are copied by, there's a company that you go to them and they'll make any shape you want. And I found my dice have been replicated and I, and I identified them because the numbers on every face and every adjacent face are identical to what I made. So I've, I've got to have a talk with those people and, and show them that uh, you know, I, I was copied and that the guy who authorized them to make it was lying to them about the fact that he invented it. Uh, one of the other things I, I didn't... Let me think about it. I'm still talking about the 20-sided dice. Okay. Uh, many of you have walked by my booth and seen this photograph. And you don't know what is the reason for me having a picture like this and the answer to that is, I took 10 dice out of Red Box Dungeons and Dragons and I made a stack. And then I took 10 more dice out of Dungeons and Dragons and I made the second stack. And the second stack is shorter than the first stack. Why is that if all the dice came from the same source? Why aren't they uniform? And so the answer to that question is, well, these dice were put in the rock polisher three times and it changed the shape of the die and made them egg-shaped. And although there's only 15 or 20 thousandths of an inch difference between various faces, you can't see 15 or 20 thousandths of an inch by your eye. You have to, uh, so you stack them on top of each other, that demonstrates that there is a shortage somewhere. And when I discovered that these were egg-shaped dice, I took my micrometer to a convention along with some of the egg-shaped dice And the first guy that came up to my booth, I handed him the micrometer and the dice, and I said, here, measure these faces, and you're going to see 15 or 20 thousandths of an inch difference. And he handed me back both of them, and he said, I didn't come here to measure anything. I want to buy some dice and get on with my gaming. (laughs) So then I thought, all right, I will make these dice do this stacking thing. I'll bring it to a convention, put it on a music stand, and the dice will all be there live in this box. 
and the second guy that came to the table jarred it, and the whole thing tumbled to the floor. And I spent two hours picking them up and setting them up again. After which, the sixth guy that came to the table jarred it, and blah, 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 all over the floor. So I finally smartened up and made a photograph of it. Doesn't matter how many times you jar the table, they're not going to leave. Is there anybody out there that wants a copy of this? All right, now, on the back of this, you're going to see uh, that 12-sided dice are just as prone to be unique in shape, and so are six-sided dice. So I made a stack of six-sided dice and put it on the back, and what happened? I'm sorry. Oh, did I get a ticket from the guy that just came in and sat in the front? Okay, can I get a white slip that says no money on it to turn in to show them how many people were in this room? You'd, <laughs> you'll make me one. We have a forger among us. Oh, oh thank you. All right. Uh, let's see. What, what did I do with the brown envelope? I was, okay, yeah. All right. So I've, I've lost my trend. I was talking about the 20-sided dice. Oh, and so uh, I explained earlier how it's their custom to tumble the dice to remove the burr and then put it in the rock polisher after they've coated it with paint and then put it in another rock polisher and so forth and so on. Now, unfortunately, because this is the way this room is the way it is, you can't see what I want you all to see. So I have here f some dice that I've glued to this little piece of cardboard. And the first die here is the worst example of being tumbled too much. As you look at the two, you can see that the hook is gone from the two. And the base of it isn't there. And the zero from the number 20 has two breaks in it. And that's because... It got polished too much here, it got polished too much here, and it got polished too much here. And that's why those digits are interrupted and not complete. But you look at this dice over here, and it's got a perfect 20 on it. And there's no problem with the zero either. And you have to realize, if the mold was making this problem and skipping on the 20 that it made, that would be on every single dice that it produces. But here's a perfect dice over here with a 20 on it. So we know that the molding is not at fault. What we know is that the, the tumbling is what is the problem. Now, one other thing that's really important. When you look at the 20 on this dice, you see a line underneath the 20. And when you look at the number 11, you'll see a line under the number 11. And why that line is there is because the unskilled worker is told to go over to the machine that's doing the third tumble and stick his hand in and pull out a handful of dice and look. And if there is no lines under any of the numbers, we'll sell those dice. But if there's lines under some of the numbers, let's let it tumble for another couple of hours to see if we can get those dice to be without the numbers, in which case this one here lost more material, and that's what caused the break in the the zeros and uh, the, the the hook to be polished off of the two. And so, if you would, sir, I'd like you to 
pass this to the guy sitting next to you, and then when you get it at the far end, would you pass it to the guy at the back end of this group so he can pass it forward and it'll finally wind up in your hands, all right? So those of you who, who you know, and I'm not faulting you, you guys don't make dice for a living. There's no reason why you should know all of this. But I make dice for a living. And, and so the shortcuts that my competitors are taking is what causes these dice to come out of that process egg-shaped. And the photograph that I have here proves that the dice are egg-shaped. Now, as you look at this, the only dice that come to the same height are my dice. And one of the stacks that I made here is with a perfect face facing a perfect face. And the other stack was made with the blemish facing the blemish. So you'd think that the blemished face stack would be taller than the other, but it's not. And that was what led me to believe that the blemish was not important until the awesome dice people made their test and, and, and uh, made it clear that the, any protrusion affects how the dice is going to come to rest. Is there anybody else that wants a copy of this? Everybody got a copy that wanted one? Okay. Uh, now, let me think. It was, oh, okay. Here's a set of dice that were purchased by a fellow named uh, Frederick Meyer. And he brought them to me and he said, I bought all three of these dice on the same day. I bought these two from TSR and I bought this one from you. And after six months, I thought the TSR dice had lost so much material from their edges, they were unreliable, and they be began rolling the same numbers over and over. So I put them aside, and I continued using your dice for the next two years. Now, my dice looks better after two years of wear than their dice looks after so only six months. And that's because I'm spending the money to get the high-impact plastic that, that helps these dice uh, perform consistently. All right. Now, I told you that I'm going to teach you how to roll winning numbers. Well, there are times when you don't have any control over the dice, and so there's no way that you can do anything about the handling of those dice. But, George, you're about to roll the dice... And if you roll a one, that would destroy everything you've worked for to get to this point in the game. And I sure hope you don't think about rolling the number one because Duke University did a test where students who thought about a number one could make it come up 5% of all the times they rolled it. And I'd sure hate to think that you would be sitting there thinking about the number one when you release that die because that might cause it to come up. And the rest of you guys sitting around the table, don't think about it because that might influence the dice even more. So we don't really know what's going to But here you sound so sympathetic, right? And what you're really doing is you're setting this poor devil up. I mean, what's he going to think about when he's got the dice, right? He's going to think about the one number one, just what you told him not to think about. And so, and you don't sound like you're putting a curse on him. You sound like you're sympathetic. You're you're behind him. You want him to succeed, and he doesn't understand. You're sowing the seeds of defeat. Oh, the powers of gaming. Yeah. 
And so that's something you can do when other people are going to roll the dice. Now, I saw a story on the computer that said when you roll a six-sided dice, it's going to rotate one and one-half times, which means if you want a six to come up, you should release it so that a one is at the top. Now, if you release it with the one on the top and the two is next, that means you got a five or a six coming up when the dice comes to rest. Am I making sense? And you should not be getting a three or a four, which is on the sides. So I rolled the dice 50 times to see if that would be true. And what turned out, what, and I wrote down what my results were. But I did a flawed test because I didn't try this with the thought that I only want the dice to go three inches and stop, or four inches and stop, or five inches and stop. I had no thought of how hard am I releasing this dice. But what I can tell you is I got as many threes and fours as I got twos and fives and ones and sixes. So I don't know how it is possible to release this die with the number one facing up and the number two right behind it so that you can get either a five or a six as the result of your roll. But I got a six. (laughs) And so what I don't know is how many inches is this, right? And I should measure that so that I know maybe there's some validity to this one, two, three, four, five, five inches, okay? <laughs> Maybe rolling it five inches will make the dice do what they, what was reported. And, but now you have something to look at for testing purposes to see. Will that work for you or, or not? Okay, thank you. Um, <clears throat> now, I wasn't the only person who was getting complaints about the dice having blemishes, but none of those complaints happened until I started making gem dice. And when I started making gem dice, a couple of things happened all at once. (laughs) The first thing was TSR decided that they should make their own dice. And the management, Gary Gygax and the two Bloom brothers who were at the top of the company, They all had the same idea. If there's a penny of profit to be made from Dungeons & Dragons, that's our penny. Nobody else has a right to that penny but us. And consequently, they decided, you know, because I was selling so many dice, they should make their own dice because they knew the dice they were bringing in from Taiwan was crap. So they went to a tool and die maker in Milwaukee and they asked him to make a mold that would generate dice and they said we want to see those dice coming out of that mold like popcorn so I went to a Gen Con and I'm standing at the table where Kevin Bloom is standing and it's Sunday afternoon 3.30 and the convention ends at 4 and a guy comes in with a wet saggy box and he dumps it on the glass case and he says here's your dice And Kevin says, you were supposed to be here on Thursday. You promised that you would be here on Thursday. Why weren't you here on Thursday? He said, well, when we tried to run the mold, it overheated after after only 15 minutes. 
And if we ran it longer, we would destroy the tool. So we had to shut it off and wait for three hours while it cooled down. And then we ran it for another 15 minutes and shut it down. And so we had such limited success running it. We've been running it every 15 minutes, excuse me, every three hours for 15 minutes. And this is what we got after three days of, or four days of, of running it. And Kevin said, well, God, the convention's almost over. I can't sell these dice. What the hell am I going to do? I'm going to have to warehouse these for a year before you get your problem solved. The guy, no, 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 listen. If you give me $50,000, I'll put more cooling veins in the, in the tool, and it'll run a lot better. So they gave him $50,000. And sure enough, the tool ran 20 minutes instead of 15. <laughs> and they said, you know what? You need to give me another $50,000 because I need to put more cooling veins in and I didn't put them in the right location. So they gave him another $50,000 and now the tool runs for 35 minutes before it, free it gets too hot. And he $50,000 them for quite a bit of money until they finally canceled and went to another tool and die maker in Georgia who gave them a set that looked pretty good except for the 8 the 8 was shaped like a stiletto it didn't have the same shape around the equator as it had at the north and south pole so they didn't like that one and they went to Taiwan and they found a guy in Taiwan to make dice for them. And not only did he make dice, he made a little clamshell to hold the dice. And there was a little depression in the clamshell that was the shape of every dice that face that was supposed to go into that compartment. And it came with a crayon. <laughs> so you could use the crayon to color the digits. And I thought, what a neat thing that little package was that just holds that whole set. Now, I was getting a newspaper from Taiwan every month. And I opened up the first one. I mean, you know, for, I opened up the paper to read what was in there. And here was a half-page ad with a photograph of this dice set. And it says, I make dice for TSR. Wouldn't you like to buy these dice for less than TSR is paying? <laughs> now, in China, they have something called Mai Mai, and that means business is business. So if you have a tool in Chinese custody, they don't have the same sense of ethics that we have. Business is business, right? I got this tool. It ain't doing anything. I should make more dice and sell them to whoever wants them. And so I cut that out, and I mailed it to Gary Gygax. And for some strange reason, they canceled their orders for, for dice from this guy. So a month later, I get another issue of the thing, and it's, it's got a picture of the dice. But this time, the dice all have ink in the digits and a crayon. <laughs> and so I thought, why, why is he putting a crayon in there? They don't, they don't not need it. That's really dumb. And then somebody else said to me, well, maybe he's got a million crayons to get rid of. <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to think of that as an alternative. So that's what happened there. Now, what we want to do is control... Oh, 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 okay. 
these are seven-sided dice, and I don't think I said anything about seven-sided dice yet. But when I got them, I mailed them back to the guy who sent them to me because I said they're not thick enough. You look at the face six and face number seven, they're really big areas and they're pentagon-shaped, but around the edge, the periphery is just a little, you know, like one inch by a half inch uh, of, of edge material, and I was pretty sure these dice wouldn't roll on the edge as often as they were rolling the sixes and sevens that were on the, the, the pentagon. And so he wrote me back and he said, when I made my first prototype and rolled it 10,000 times, I discovered that the dice was too thick and I was getting too many sixes and so, I know, getting too many numbers on the edge. So I milled one ten thousandth of an inch off of the dice and I rolled it 10,000 times more and realized I needed to take off another one thousandth of an inch. And then I rolled it another 10,000 times and I took off one more thousandth of an inch. And then I rolled it 10,000 times and I needed to take off another one thousandth of an inch. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, you know, this guy has gotten there the hard way. So I was flying to a game convention and I was sitting next to a guy who looked kind of young and I said, did you ever play Dungeons and Dragons? And he said, when I was in college, but I haven't had time to do anything like that lately. I said, no, that's great. I've got some seven-sided dice that I want to check out. Would you mind rolling these dice a hundred times and telling me what number you're getting each time, and I'll record it on my little pad. we got nothing to do for the next four hours before we reach the, the airport anyway, you know. So he started rolling and calling off what it was that he was getting, and at the end of that test, there was an equal number of outcomes for every digit that was on the die. Now, when I take it to the convention, people argue with me. Oh, it's going to roll more sixes and sevens because it was the same thing I thought. But now I knew better. And I'd say, no, it doesn't. And, it, and argue, argue, argue. So I'm fed up with the arguing. And I made a big sign and it said, I'll pay you $2 every time you roll six or seven if you pay me $1 every time you fail. Door opens for the convention to start, and in runs a kid with a dollar in his hand. He said, boy, am I going to make money off of you. Here's my dollar. I'll let me roll them seven-sided dice. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. This is a trap. Watch. And I picked up six dice, and I rolled them. See, you'd owe me $2 right now. He said, no, you didn't know how to roll them right. You didn't roll them so that the, the six and sevens would be coming up. I said, no, no, watch. And I grabbed them all again, and I rolled again. Now you'd owe me $4. No, no, you don't know how to roll these dice. Here, take my dollar. I'm, take my dollar. I'm, give me that dice. I'm going to make money out of you. And he rolls the dice, and he loses. It was like watching lemmings throwing themselves in the ocean. <laughs> so I, I, I felt so bad about taking his dollar. I don't do that one anymore. But <laughs> So anyway... Now, uh, eight-sided shapes. This is a regular eight-sided dice. And what I did here was I made an eight-sided shape, but it's only numbered one, two, three, four. Because you know when you roll a four-sided dice, there's no tumble. It, it, when it goes down to the table, it's down to stay, right? But this one has got a little bit of tumble to it, so it can randomize a lot more. 
And if you want randomizing on the 4, this is the device that can do the job. Okay. Holy crow. Oh, okay. I was getting worried because there's, there's a lot more that I want to tell you, and I thought I didn't have the pieces with me. This is the 100-sided dice that I worked on for years to create. And what you don't know about the 100-sided dice is how to throw it. I ask you to roll this dice and get me a 100, and most of you will do this and let it go. Big mistake. Um, and I didn't discover this until recently. It just happened across this. When I first designed this dice, I didn't know how to number it, so I put 1, 2 at one end and 3, 4 at the other end and 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and I just kept going like that, and of course the opposing number was 199, 98, blah, blah, blah. And when I used up all the numbers at, at the beginning of the number pattern, at the end of the number pattern, I discovered that I had from 33 to 67 left, which went on the equator. Now this dice is beautifully balanced, so if you roll it on the equator, it's going to stay on the equator, which is something that a lot of people don't even consider when they're rolling the dice. But if you need a mid-range number, rolling it on the equator is the way to go because it's only going to come up 33 to 67. <laughs> but everybody wants the 100, right? So you can't get it according to the number pattern that I had on there unless you roll it over the number 100, which is at the polar position. So I renumbered the dice so that I took one digit from every span of 10 and put it into every ring around the, as, the, as much as I could. So now there are high numbers and low numbers on the equator, just like there are high numbers and low numbers in every band that circles this. Now, if you wanted to roll the number 100, the first thing you should do is look to see that it's at the polar position. And in the ring right below the number 100, you're going to find a 99. And right below the 99 is a 97. And below the 97 is a 96. So the next thing you need to know is that this 100-sided dice is four and a half inches around. And if you roll the dice four and a half inches, it looks like you're cheating. But if you roll it nine inches, yeah. it looks like you're a regular you know, user, right? And so what you do is you set this dice up with the number 100 at the top, and you make it so that the number 99 is either directly behind it, so if you roll a little bit beyond nine inches, it's going to come out to your favor, or you roll it a little shy of nine inches, it's still going to come out to your favor. Am I making sense? Mm -hmm. So whether you got it in front or, or you got it behind. And so what the next thing you got to do is learn how to roll it nine inches. And the closer you can get to nine inches, the more likely you are to get a 100 to come up, or a 99 or a 98. And at the other end of the die, is the reverse situation of, with the number 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. So you can roll lie, low if you want to. And my suggestion to you folks is, don't tell anybody what you just learned about how to roll. <laughs> They're going to think you're all in cahoots with fate.
<laughs> as you roll the high numbers you need or the low numbers you need on the hundred-sided dice. And I didn't do that on purpose, but, but the next time I make this dice, I'm going to change the numbering pattern so it won't do that anymore. In which case, dice that are numbered this way <coughs> will become collector's items. <coughs> for those of you who know how to use it to your advantage. <coughs> okay, <coughs> this, <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm having trouble. <coughs> this is a 50-sided dice that was used, was created because the state of Wisconsin was going to have a lottery that used 50 as the number in the lottery. And so this guy thought he would make good money selling a 50-sided dice as a lottery number generator that you could bet on. Unfortunately, <coughs> unfortunately, he got a divorce from his wife, and Wisconsin law stipulates that everything that can be liquefied must be sold and, and divided among the, the wife and the, and the husband. So he had 6,000 unsold 50-sided dice. I bought them all because if I only bought half, somebody would buy the other half and we'd have a price war. I'm sure the other guy would never figure, you know, to keep the price where I said I wanted it to be. So that solved the problem of what, why those dice now sell for $8 each. And they're heavy. That's solid plastic. They're heavy as all get out. And uh, then I made a 14-sided dice. And this 14-sided dice has days of the week on it. So there's two Mondays, two Tuesdays, two Wednesdays. How do you know this week from next week when you roll the dice? All right, think about the Bible. On the Sabbath, the Lord did what? He rested. So Sunday has to be the last day of the week, right? So eight and above must be next week. Am I making sense? A customer came to me and he said, why aren't you inking this in red and blue? I said, why should I ink it in red and blue? He said, daylight and dark. Holy crow. What a great idea that is. And I'm too stupid to have thought of it myself, you know. But... <laughs> That, so now this dice is inked with red and blue. And so if you had a fight with somebody, a sword fight, you know, and you injured your arm, you could roll the dice and it comes up 10, which is a Wednesday. What is, and it's red. What does that tell us? It's next Wednesday because if it was this Wednesday, the number would be in the first eight digits or seven digits. Am I making sense? And because it's red, that means Wednesday during the day, my arm is going to be feeling pretty good. So that's a neat thing that you can do with a 14-sided dice. Now, I also made a 16-sided dice. And the reason is because when you roll two D6s, the most likely number to come up will be seven. Well, in D&D... If you're swinging a two-handed sword, or you're fighting an invisible foe, or you're fighting in the dark, or you're fighting a dragon, you're supposed to roll two d8s. If you roll two d8s, the most likely number to come up will be nine. Am I making sense? Just And, and then eight and ten would be the next two most likely numbers to come up. When you look at the results table, and you look at eight, nine, ten, 
Are they favorable or unfavorable for the gamer? Or have you discovered that if you could just roll a two, the best possible result was there? And then three would give you lesser and four, five, six, seven, eight, which indicates that the idiot that wrote that list had no idea that you're going to roll eight, nine, ten more often than anything else. All he's doing is filling out 16 things. And if he is filling out 16 things, or 8, 9, 10 is bad for you, you could roll my 16-sided dice and get yourself equal access to the whole span as opposed to channeling your result into this killer group of 8, 9, 10. All right. Um, let's see. I've got 20-sided dice that I talked about. Oh, yes. Right. Because all my competitors have rounded edges, everybody who plays thinks rounded edges are what the dice are supposed to have. And I keep saying to them, if rounded edges were what you're supposed to have, casino dice would have rounded edges. And if you see a rounded edge on a casino dice, it's because somebody tampered with it. And what you can do is you put the two dice together and then you will see one continuous surface here with no gap, no break. But if somebody's tampered with it, you'll see a little bitty gap. And so that's what people are doing when you see them rotating the dice so that every possible combination of edges come together. Because cheats will take one one-thousandth of an inch off of the dice to alter its performance, and they know what it's going to do for the dice, but you as the better don't have any idea that that they've done this and so you're you're assuming that you got equal chances and you don't have them um, let me see okay I in addition to the the, the 16 sided dice I also have the designed a 24 sided dice and when you look at this jewel you will discover that in the center of it is a cube. And on each of the flat spots that the cube has, I placed a four-sided pyramid. So that increased the number of faces that the die had to 24, from 6 to 24. Now, if you add the numbers 1 through 24 together, it will total 300. And uh, because a cube has only six major sides, I divided 300 by 6 to discover the answer was 50. Then I thought, wouldn't it be a smart thing to do if I made each of the four faces on each cluster, you know, total 50? And I'll use two even numbers and two odd numbers to make the number 50 come up. And then I'll make the opposing faces opposite there. And all opposing faces will total 25, which meets with the requirement that all dice that you create have a total that is always one point higher than the total number of faces the dice has. So when you look at a six-sided dice, all faces, when, when added together, total seven. Am I making sense? So, so that's, that's what I did with the 24-sided uh, dice. Um, Kevin Zucker, excuse me, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, I can't come up with the last name. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. The Cook, yeah, Kevin Cook called me and he said, I have just received a 24-sided shape 
from somebody in France who wants to sell his molding tool. Are you interested? And I had just made my own 24-sided dice, you know, so I said yes. So he gave me the guy's address, and I wrote him a letter and asked him to send me a, a sample of what it was his tool generates. Then I got a long-distance call from England, and uh, the caller told me that he was the president of the Bone Rollers Guild and that he was a doctor, and he had just designed a 24-sided dice that would generate the outcome of five different dice shapes all at once. So, do I want to see a copy of his prototype? And I said, yes, please. So, a week goes by, and two boxes arrive on the same day. One from France, one from England. And I open them up, and the one from France has this beautiful plastic dice. And the one from England has a cardboard dice in it that's exactly the same size as the one from France. And when... He, I read the instructions from England about how this is numbered. He's got it set up so that you have to go all over the dice to read the numbers, and they're not in any logical sequence. So he called me. Did it arrive? Yeah. Well, what do you think? I said, well, I think that if you were to align all the numbers on the dice so that they would match the faces of a clock, the user would have a lot easier time remembering how to read it. He said, oh, a clock, yes, I like that idea. I'll make you another. And he did. And this time it had eight different faces on it instead of five. So I thought, well, that's terrific. So we, we manufactured the dice, and at Origins it won an award as the best gaming accessory of the year, which, which pleased me very much. We finally sold our way through the 2000 that we made and I thought is there anything I could do to improve this and then I realized well yes I could because there's 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 a 12 o'clock on this thing that works but there is no 1 o'clock there is no 2 o'clock and there is no 10 o'clock and there is no 11 o'clock etc you know so I added five more faces to the die in the meat and I also decided that what I should do is print a square when you have a situation arise that the shape you're planning to report on its performance can't possibly come up because 5 does not divide evenly into 24. So there'll be four times where you've got a face that's got a blank there, right? Well, instead of a blank, I put a square so that you would know that means roll again. And so the 7 does not divide evenly into 24, but it does go to 21, and so you need a blank on 22, 23, 24. Am I making sense? And so that's what I did for all the other faces that I added to the die. And then a mathematician came by, and I showed him how to read the 24-sided dice. And when I finished, he said, do you realize if you put a zero after the 24 numbers that you got on every face, you could have a 240 outcome dice. And I said, God, I hadn't thought of that. And he said, yes, and if you double those numbers, you can get 480 faces, can't you? Yeah, what an advertising gimmick, right? You want the die that can roll 480 faces? Yeah, 
I don't know who would actually sit down and write 480 outcomes, but that's not the issue. As a sales point, right, it's a possibility, not a probability, but a possibility that makes the dice sound like it's really vastly accurate. So you remember all the times you've awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning and said to yourself, damn, if I only had an 80-sided dice, right? (laughs) This is the jewel that can do the job. So that's uh, pretty much what it was that I think I was going to tell you folks about the dice and how to work the fact that somebody else is rolling it to your advantage and how to make the 100-sided dice respond. And you saw me demonstrate, but I I don't know that I could believe it, but how to roll the six-sided dice so that you can get the high numbers or whatever you want. Are there any questions? Yeah. I have a story about the guy charging for adding more and more uh, cooling pipes. Yeah. What year did that happen? Oh, I'm sorry. I can't tell you because I don't remember. I just, I just, okay. oh, and, and the reason I know that story is because a friend of mine owns one share of TSR and he never missed a, a, a meeting, <laughs> a, a board meeting. <laughs> So, you know, they didn't pay any dividends that year. And the reason was it went to develop the dice. And the next year they used the same reason for not paying a dividend. And one year they didn't pay a dividend because everybody knows TSR is a successful company and each of the executives should be driving an executive caliber car. So TSR bought new automobiles for every member that was a vice president to show that TSR is on the way up. And they did a lot of, you know, bad things like that to keep the people who had shares from getting any benefit. And this is an exaggerated example of a 20-sided dice made by one of my competitors. And and this is an example of a six-sided dice that, you know, if it was, right, when you throw a dice like this, wouldn't you expect it to land more like this and like this? as opposed to landing like this or like this. And the least most possible role is this one, right? And so when they have a 20-sided dice that's tall and, and it's got this kind of a waistline to it, you know, it's, it's very seldom that that's going to come up and even more rare for it to come up this way. Now, are, how many of you people have seen the video at gamescience.com where I talk about why game science dice are more reliable and more uniform? You're the only one? All right. I At the end of that, I say, so you're not satisfied? You say you want more for your money. <laughs> Tell you what I'm going to do. I have here a pan, and I have here a, three, a six-sided dice that is uh, three inches tall. This is how I make dice. One, two, three. You're the first audience that ever responded. Everybody else sits there silently. And, and I feel, that was amazing. That's awesome. I was hoping you'd be impressed. How was that done? It's nice too. It fits together so well that it creates a vacuum. Oh. Yeah, well, I was hoping you'd think so. You know, when I saw this, uh, I'm a professional magician, okay? 
And so when I saw another magician doing this effect, I bought this from him <laughs> so that I could do it here, you know, for this purpose. And, and then every time I've done it, I don't get any response from the audience. I, <laughs> and I tell them, you know, I knew you weren't going to like that effect, but I didn't know you weren't going to like it that much. <laughs> and that trick is... stop doing that in cemeteries. Yeah. <laughs> that trick is ten years ahead of its time, and it's just your hard luck you had to see it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and I got more applause out of four presidents of the United States when I did that for them at Mount Rushmore than I'm getting out of you guys. <laughs> And they were stoned at the time. No point in applauding, folks. I know pity when I hear it. Well, thank you all very much for coming to this. Yeah. So whenever you're rolling on uh, material, like that affects your role, like you were saying earlier. Uh, why is it then when a lot of people are making like the dice containers to roll in, yeah. it's usually covered with material on that? Well, first of all, if you go to a casino, you'll see they have green felt as the right. table surface, right? And so they're, they, they have a number of criteria that it assures them that nobody can benefit from figuring out some screwy way to throw the dice and then beating them on that game. So the, everything that they've got is based on the, the assumption that the dice will perform as the dice should perform in a randomizing way. And I worked on a cruise ship, and one day the toilets wouldn't work. And it was, I was the cruise director. It was my job to tell the captain. And the captain then told one of the people whose skill it was to do this, to go down and fix the toilets. And when he did, what he found out was the to toilets were all jammed up because a, a criminal had come aboard the ship, two guys had, and they had a briefcase filled with dice. And they didn't know what kind of dice we were using, but they had loaded dice that would match all kinds of patterns, and they tried to get that in the game. And what happened was they did get it in the game, and the croupier didn't do anything about it because he didn't notice it. But after they threw the dice one time, you know, he periodically reaches out and retires dice and then puts other dice out. And so what happened was he, because he had their dice now in front of him, there was no point in, you know, trying to, to, to get them back in play. And, and eventually they knew he would discover that they were loaded dice. And he wouldn't put them back in play when he knew that. And they didn't want to get caught with the dice because that was incriminating. And instead of taking it to the end of the ship and dumping it into the bay, they put it down the toilet and jammed it up. <laughs> well, oh, um... I've got a problem that I don't know how to solve, which is at gamescience.com, every time I saw a video about how accurate dice are or are not, right, I wanted that video on gamescience.com instead of sending people to various places. They could all come to this one location and they could see everything. And after we loaded it up with like eight or 12 videos, 
that were informative that I didn't make, they vanished. And it's down to just one video of me doing my 2008 lecture about why game science dice are better than other dice. And I don't know how to stop whoever the hell is doing that, but we've had the lectures replaced and then they disappeared again. And I, 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 does anybody know <laughs> what I don't know about why is it being taken off and who's doing it and how can I get them to stop it? There's, there's nothing there anymore. Okay. Not listed as a selection you can make. It's gone. No, it's just, no, the title is gone from your selection of titles. You know, like, do you want to watch the, the video of uh, the salt suspending dice that are floating in it and so forth and so on and and uh, it's just not there and the guy who made the video gave us permission to to put it on and i think it's informative you know it's nice to see this happening and he did he did several videos and i can't remember what the other ones are but that's because my my forgettery is better than my memory <laughs> all right well thank you all very much folks thank you, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. This is